0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, hosting you once again as we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. This podcast is about practical issues and practical responses. It's not a preaching podcast, although I do preach occasionally. It's also a podcast designed to meet your needs. And so if you have a particular issue or question you'd like me to talk about, email me at jefforge at gs.edu and I'll try to respond. Also on the podcast today, I've got a little bit of a cold and so if we have to take a break or two to uh, stop a coughing fit we will try to edit those out but thanks for your patience there's a lot of uh, concern right now being expressed across the Southern Baptist Convention on issues related to sexual abuse and harassment now, while I'm involved in those conversations with leaders of the, in the SBC, uh, the focus of this podcast really isn't about addressing things that you're seeing in the media or uh, really trying to, to talk about what the denomination should do or shouldn't do. Uh, I think those uh, conversations, at least as far as my input, are best held directly with the people involved trying to make substantive substantive change. And so instead of that, today I'd like to talk about these issues from the perspective of a church and how you can do a good job of both preventing and then responding to these issues as you as you consider them or, or as they come into your awareness. And I want to give you uh, three simple steps that you can implement that will help you in both prevention and response. And then I want to talk at the end of the podcast about some pitfalls that you have to be aware of and be careful about as you deal in this particularly sensitive area. So first of all, three steps you can take related to sexual abuse and harassment prevention. Number one, in your church, develop clear policies and procedures about issues related to sexual abuse and harassment. Now, in order to do this, you need to get outside help. You may think, oh, I don't really need to do that. Uh, I can go on a website and download some things. or I, I know that they need to be based on the Bible, so I'll just do a Bible study, and, and, and I'll write the policies and procedures based on what I find in Scripture. Or, Well, you know, I've got a friend who has some pretty good policies, and, and, and I'm just going to copy theirs. Listen, uh, those are unwise sources to use to develop something this significant. You need outside help. Now, there are several places that you can go to get this help. The first place, frankly, is your denominational resources. Uh, denominational entities, your state convention, and uh, national agencies produce resources and materials to help guide you in this area. Uh, draw on those resources, especially those provided by your state convention, because they're going to be vetted uh, against the laws of your particular state, and they're going to be appropriate in the situation uh, where your church finds itself in that particular area or location. Another source is uh, ch- your church insurance company. Uh, most church insurance companies are working hard at loss prevention. Uh, they like taking in your money, but they don't like paying it out. And so, part of their work is creating policies and procedures and making those available to their clients so that they can have a good do a good job of limiting. Uh, their risk and limiting future claims. Another source are attorneys in your church or uh, Christian attorneys in your area that might specialize in this kind of practice. Now, we particularly have some groups here in Southern California that do this, you may not have that many in your area, I'm not saying you have to consult this source, I'm saying this is another outside source you can consult in order to help you understand how to develop these kind of policies and procedures. And then finally, uh, you can attend conferences on this subject and at those kinds of events you may get some samples that you can use, but I again caution you. Uh, Don't take those without vetting them through uh, your local attorneys and state conventions and even your insurance company because uh, a generic conference will hand out generic materials that may not be uh, particularly appropriate or particularly applicable in your unique setting. Here at Gateway, for example, we do one of these conferences. We started it a year or two ago. It'll be coming around again this next September. It's an all-day conference that features attorneys and insurance specialists and others who, who work in uh, the area of sexual abuse uh, and harassment prevention. And so those kind of people are the kind of people that uh, uh, we need to hear from in this kind of conference. And we'll host one of those, and I encourage you to attend it. But I don't want you to go away from that having that as your only outside source. So you need to develop clear policies and procedures, and in order to do this, you need outside help. You can get that from your denomination or from your insurance company or from attorneys in your church or in your area. You can also get it from legal conferences and resources like that uh, where you can take what's presented in a generic fashion and tailor it to your particular needs. Now let me underscore this. I'm talking about written policies. I'm talking about having a written-down set of policies that are a part of your um, personnel manual or your staff handbook Uh, are your training tools for new employees I'm talking about having something that is a written down policy and procedure that's easily accessible now I mentioned employees just then but I recognize that many of you are dealing with more volunteers than you are employees so this is a written down set of policies and procedures that apply first of all to employees and then secondarily to volunteers and those written down policies are are and procedures are easily accessible meaning that people know where they are, they know how to get their hands on them, they know how to use them. So step one is to develop clear policies and procedures. Now step two, train on the policies and procedures consistently. What this means is for most of you in a church context, you need to have some kind of training about sexual abuse uh, and harassment prevention at least once per year with your employees and with your volunteers. Now, for example, here at the seminary, we have annual training for employees. And the state of California mandates either annual or biannual training, depending on the, uh, the context and the, what the people do, lots of issues about that. But we follow fully uh, California law on this issue as an employer in this state. Um, so, we have annual training uh, at Gateway for Employees. We use a, a, a web based curriculum that uh, helps employees to work through a series of scenarios, uh, reading, watching videos, making responses, and learning by that process. But we also have included now sexual abuse and harassment prevention as part of our curriculum. Uh, we've incorporated into one of our classes that's required across all degree programs so that every student who completes a degree at the seminary will be will have uh, training in this area. Now, I say that very carefully. I didn't say every student because, quite frankly, many students come to seminary and they don't complete their degree or uh, they come to seminary only to pick and choose certain classes that they need or maybe they only come and earn a certificate. But if you earn a degree from Gateway Seminary, you will now be required to take a class and part of that class is training on sexual abuse and harassment prevention. This has been going on for a while here. It's not something new, uh, but it is something that we've changed how we do it recently so that we're now using a standardized curriculum across all the sections of the class that I'm talking about. So we have annual training for employees and curricular training for students, plus we have the co-curricular activity of the conference that I've already described in the previous section of the podcast. Now this is for us part of employee orientation as well. So when a new employee comes to work, they don't have to wait until the training comes around sometime during the next year. Uh, they're, uh, during their employee orientation, uh, they're given a personnel handbook and they're walked through the section of the handbook that relates to this issue. As a part of their orientation, they're required to actually sign a statement that says they've read the handbook, they understand the policies, they've been given the opportunity to ask questions about them, and they've had a response to those questions. So this is a part of new employee orientation for us. Now, in a church setting, it certainly needs to be a part of new employee orientation, but beyond that, it needs to be a part of leadership training for ministry leaders in your church. Look, the days of recruiting someone to, quote, watch the kids is over in church life. It's over. Uh, You have to have people that are trained, that have some kind of uh, certification that your church uh, indicates they have been through some kind of background check, they've been through a vetting process, Uh, that they're operating with proper supervision and that they understand the policies and procedures. For example, recently I was in a large church that has multiple services, and the pastor uh, just before the final service said, if you've already attended one of our services today, uh, we need, uh, we, we have a, pretty serious situation in our last service with our child care needs. We have a lot of people coming today, it's a special event, and if you can help and if you are an already certified children's worker in our church, we would like for you to stay. So notice this caveat, he was just not issuing an all call, man we need help, if you can help please stay. He was saying if you're able to stay and you're a previously certified worker, children's worker in our church, then we need you to stay today. So that revealed to me that this church takes seriously both their written policies and procedures, the training that their employees, the pastor being one of those, has in those policies and procedures, the fact that their volunteers have been trained in those policies and procedures, and that it was so important, that, that it's important enough in that church that even in an all-call type situation, they recognize that they're restricted to only the workers that they vetted and prepared for service in this capacity. So... It's important that you not only develop clear policies and procedures, but then secondarily, that you train on the policies consistently. And by consistently, I mean two things. Number one, you train every new employee and volunteer as part of the orientation process in these areas. And then secondarily, you review those policies and procedures at least once a year by bringing together your employees or your volunteers and doing a, a training about this issue just with them. <laughs> Number one, develop clear policies and procedures. Number two, train on the policies and procedures consistently. And number three, implement the policies and procedures thoroughly. Now, I would encourage you, uh, when you have a situation arise that you have some concern about, In other words, you think there's been some sexual abuse or some sexual harassment or you have any idea at all that something like this might be going on, I would encourage you to go so far as to use your policies and procedures uh, document as a checklist. In other words, pull it out, put it on your desk and read number one and check if you've done that or if you've not done that. Number two, check if you've done that or not done that. Work your way through the checklist to make sure that you are implementing the policies and procedures thoroughly, going so far as to use them as a checklist uh, to make sure that you don't miss anything in the process. And then as a part of that, follow through with every person and situation, no matter who it is. I know this is hard to hear, but you might think, yeah, but we trust our youth pastor, our well, I saw a pastor do something that seemed a little different to me or a little odd, but he's the pastor. He wouldn't do anything wrong. No. You can't make those assumptions any longer. If you feel there's any concern at all that there's been something happened that raises your uh, awareness of a possibility, a possibility of an abuse or a harassment situation, you need to step in, get the policy and procedure checklist, go through it, and make sure that you're responding no matter who might be involved in the situation. It's sad, but some of the most uh, uh, destructive behaviors in this area come from some of the most persuasive, charismatic, and well-liked people. And so if you have any concerns, get out the policies and procedures and go through them, making sure that you do so on every person and situation, no matter who it is. Well, those are three simple steps you can take. Develop clear policies and procedures, train on the policies and procedures consistently, and implement the policies and procedures thoroughly. Now, let me spend the rest of the podcast talking about some pitfalls to avoid in dealing with issues related to sexual abuse and harassment. The first one is the failure to properly involve law enforcement. Now, I know that this is a very difficult issue for many people in ministry because you think, well, I don't really want to call the police because once I call the police, the situation can spin out of control. Once I call the police, uh, things can happen that I never intended to happen. Once I call the police, um, the situation can co- uh, can can uh, go into a very secular way of dealing with the situation. Um, And i don't want to call the police because i'm kind of afraid of them i mean there's all kinds of reasons why people avoid involving law enforcement but let me strongly encourage you to involve law enforcement any time you believe there is a situation of sexual abuse or sexual harassment now in the abuse situation church ministry leaders and volunteers are mandatory reporters in other words you don't have a choice. If you don't report a child abuse situation that turns out to be a child abuse situation, you will be held legally responsible. That's not a position you want to place yourself. It's better to err on the side of reporting and, there, and, and everyone discovering that it was a false alarm or a misguided uh, a concern. It's better to do that than to take the opposite risk. So if you, have a, if you have any indication at all that there's a child abuse situation going on, remember, you're a mandatory reporter, and, I, and you're a mandatory reporter in every state and in every context. You have to inform you know, law enforcement. Now harassment situations can be a little different, and this is where you need to know the laws of your state and have good, clear policies. Harassment situations may or may not require you to report. Um, it may be that you say to the person is being harassed I'm going to report this would you like to go with me or would you like to report and I'll go with you Uh, if there's any potential of criminal activity involved in the situation there needs to be reporting even if everyone involved was an adult meaning that it was more of a harassment than an abuse situation we have recently had a situation that I've been involved in that illustrates why this is so important I was recently involved in a ministry situation that involved Uh, some uh, sexual abuse that went on between two adults. It was an assault, it was a violent act, etc., And that was reported to law enforcement, but what happened next really surprised me. Um, Law enforcement did interview the people involved and did ultimately decide to charge one of them with assault, but they also charged him with a secondary crime I had no idea would be a a part of the situation. The assault took place in front of children. And so they charged the person not only with assault, but assault in the presence of a minor, which is a separate offense. There wound up being four different charges filed against this person. And as a minister, I was only aware there might be the one, and that was there might be an assault charge filed. Turned out there was one that was filed, but there were several other crimes committed, or at least allegedly committed, in that context that the person was charged with. So when I say, Invol- that one of the pitfalls is the failure to properly involve law enforcement. You have to be careful that you don't make the judgment of what's legal or illegal, uh, what's uh, what's uh, what, what a person can be charged for or not. That's really outside your purview as a minister or a volunteer. And so what you need to do is, if you think there's been abuse or harassment situation, either do your mandatory reporting responsibility or, in the case of some situations, say to the person who's an adult who's come to you, You need to go to the law enforcement. Um, I'll go with you or I have to go, and then they may come and contact you, so let's see if we can't do this together. So the failure to properly involve law enforcement is one of the pitfalls of dealing with sexual abuse and harassment. Here's a second one, and this is a huge one today, and that is the failure to prioritize the victim's rights or the victim's needs. I'm continually amazed at how ministry leaders want to work with the perpetrator to confront them for their sin, uh, get them to repent and move quickly into some kind of restoration process with them while ignoring the victim and how badly they have been wronged. The victim and the victim's rights and the victim's needs really have to have the priority in any situation. It is your first obligation is not to restore the center, your first obligation is to protect the offended, the person who has been hurt. Now I honestly observe that in our culture that sometimes this swings to an extreme where the victim's rights are the only rights that are considered and the victim's needs are the only needs that are considered. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is those needs and rights have to be prioritized in dealing with the people who are involved in a situation. Many years ago. When I was still a pastor, I faced a situation like this. Uh, we had a person that was uh, uh, involved in a pretty significant way in a, in, a, in a very bad situation of sexual abuse and harassment. And uh, our church took strong disciplinary action against the offender because he was a member of our church. But we also took very aggressive action in trying to reach out to the victim and to provide care, ministry, and long-term support for her. The reason this is so real for me is that I was recently back in that same area where this took place, preaching, and after the service, a woman came up to me and she said, Pastor Jeff, well, that felt like a warm bath. I love it when people call me pastor. She said, Pastor Jeff, you may not remember me, but I was a member of your church when you were a pastor. And I said, I'm sorry, too many years and too many people. I, I, I honestly don't remember you. And she said, well, that's fine. She said, uh, you may remember my situation. And she gave me one sentence and I stopped her and said, yes, I definitely remember you. How are you doing now? She said, you know, because of the way the church helped me, uh, I'm doing really well. I I ultimately committed my life to Jesus Christ and I've been serving him all these years and I'd like for you to meet someone. What had happened to her had actually resulted in a pregnancy. She called over this strapping young 18, 19-year-old young man and she said, this is my son and he shook my hand and I was able to meet him. He had no idea who he was or how I had a hand in ministry to his mother many years before. But that was a gratifying moment when I recognized in that moment that prioritizing victim needs and not just uh, giving them a a, a quick offer of, we'll give you some counseling or we'll pay for this or we'll take care of that, but saying, we're gonna stay with you. We're gonna support you and care for you and get you through this does have long-term impact and long-term effect in their lives. And so when you're dealing with one of these situations of abuse or harassment, remember to prioritize victim needs and prioritize victim rights and make sure that you don't quickly uh, uh, shuttle them aside in your zeal to confront the perpetrator and get that person to respond appropriately based on what they've done. Recently I was dealing with another situation where a pastor came to me and said that his son had been... um, A victim of some sexual abuse when he was a young child and he said his son came forward on a Wednesday evening and told his father what had happened and the father immediately went to the pastor of the church and told him what had happened and uh, the pastor was uh, you know made a made a strong response but the following Sunday the pastor got up and read a statement that said we've learned of this situation we have addressed it it's been resolved and we won't need to do any more about this. And the the family that was, uh, the victim, was sitting there uh, with his parents, and although he was too young to fully understand what was happening, his parents certainly did, and they thought, no, no, you you can't resolve this in three days without even having a follow-up conversation with us. It, It just doesn't work that way, it's just not that simple. Now, the good news is, in that situation, the young man received the help he needed and has grown up to be a very productive uh, uh, adult male who's doing a great job in in his life and career. And so uh, that story ultimately had a good ending, but it was mishandled in the beginning because there was a rush to get something accomplished, which leads me to my third pitfall, and that is don't be too quick to reach conclusions. You have a lot of options before you and a lot of issues to work through, And finding out about something on a Wednesday and pronouncing it concluded on a Sunday is just simply an inappropriate rush to a conclusion or a rush to judgment on the situation. When you're dealing with either employees or volunteers, you have several tools at your disposal to slow down the process and to make sure that you handle it thoroughly. First of all, you can place an employee on administrative leave. You can simply say, until we get this resolved, we'll continue to pay you. We pass no judgment on you in that regard. But you need to step aside from your responsibility until we get this worked out. Uh, you also have that same poss- uh, that same opportunity with the volunteers to go to them and say, "Look, uh, we're not we're not drawing a conclusion here yet. But until we do, you need to step aside and give us time to work through the process of discovering you know what's really happening." And while you're using this administrative leave time or this administrative set aside time for a volunteer, uh, you can that gives you time to uh, really do an in-depth investigation to talk with everyone who's involved in the situation. It gives you an opportunity to bring in some outside help to reach out to a consultant or an attorney or even your insurance company and ask them if they can provide some guidance for you in the situation. Um, It gives you time to consider all viable options, uh, and it also gives time for more information to emerge. This has been one of the things I learned the hard way from mistakes I made early in ministry. And that is I would hear of a situation, I would make a response, I would think I had it resolved, and then three or four or five days later, or even two or three or four or five weeks later, new information would come to light, which would make my previous decision look very foolish. So don't rush to judgment. Don't be too quick to reach conclusions. Recognize that you have some tools at your disposal to slow the process and to make sure that you have a very thorough uh, Uh, consideration before you reach conclusions. Number four, another pitfall is caring too much about your ministry's reputation and not enough about justice. Whenever an instance of sexual abuse or sexual harassment happens, it always wounds a church and an organization. uh, It always harms. And there's not anything you can do about that. But quite frankly, covering it up or trying to minimize it or say it didn't happen uh, will do more damage in the long run than uh, just simply moving through the process and taking the steps necessary to make it right. So when you're facing one of these situations, care more about justice than about reputation. Uh, be sure that you do what's right and not what's expedient. and Do what protects the victim and brings uh, justice to the perpetrator, not just what protects your image or your reputation. And that leads me to say that uh, number five, Another pitfall is confusing forgiveness with absolution. We are called upon to be forgiving people, but forgiveness does not equal the removal of all consequences. You can be forgiven for something you've done and still have to bear the consequences of your actions. Forgiveness is giving up your right to revenge. Forgiveness is realizing vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Forgiveness is allowing God and others to ultimately to ultimately make things right with a person who's harmed you or a person who's harmed someone that you care about. So forgiveness is important, but it doesn't equal the absence of consequences. For example, a number of years ago, our church uh, reached a convicted sex offender with the gospel, and he wanted to become a member of our church. Uh, we were able to work with him over a period of time so that he did come, make a public profession of faith, and was received into our church membership. Um, that was not, though, without some serious circumstances or consequences being effective in his life. For example we told him all the consequences of your behavior that are mandated to be controlled by the state are all applicable here at church and we went so far as to set up some checks and balances and some systems so that when he was on our campus there were certain rules that he had to abide now one of the reasons that we knew he was w- that he was ready to become a member of our church was his attitude of submission to our authority and of our desire to uh, his desire to do whatever we ask of him to, to function in that situation, and he did function well in our situation, and we did supervise him, not for a week, not for a month, but for the years that he was a member of our church. So confusing forgiveness with absolution is another pitfall to avoid. Yes, we want to work toward forgiveness. We want to work toward restoration, but that does not mean that we work toward absence of consequences. Certain behaviors have consequences, and those consequences have to be fulfilled Then number six, another pitfall is breaking confidentiality requirements about these situations, particularly with employees. Now this is tricky because on the one hand you want to disclose and not hide what has happened, but on the other hand um, there are legal restrictions on what you can disclose about a person's personnel record and about their employment record with you. I'm talking particularly here about actions that don't rise to criminal uh, prosecution that simply do rise to a level of termination or of discipline. This can be very tricky. Uh, That's why you have to get legal counsel and have good HR input when you make these kind of decisions. That's why it's important before you release any statement about any of these issues, even something you read in a public worship service to your own congregation on a Sunday, that you make sure you have that statement vetted appropriately so that it reveals only what can be revealed but does reveal all that can be revealed. This has been hard for me over the years, because I've had to to not reveal information on certain occasions that I really wanted to reveal, uh, that I really felt like needed to be revealed, but simply couldn't be. Now this gets into a very delicate issue, because certainly if a person has been convicted of a crime, that can be revealed. That's a public record. But I'm talking about lesser issues that result in discipline or termination or, in a case of a volunteer, removal from their ministry responsibility. You can't always disclose everything you know about those situations because while they may have been inappropriate, they may not have risen to a level of uh, being criminal. And that's why it's important for you to involve law enforcement because if law enforcement says it's criminal and a person is charged, that's a public record, you can certainly reveal that. You should reveal that. You're obligated to reveal that. But if they come back to you and say, well, something happened here, and yeah, there was some harassment that took place, and yes, you're probably justified in terminating the person, but we're not able to charge them. Then that puts it in a whole different category. And that's why, depending on the state you're in, the context you're in, you need to get good counsel before you say anything about the situation in any detail. And I would also say in re- relation to that, that when you do not reveal information and you cannot reveal information, you are going to face some withering criticism. And that is just something you have to learn to endure and uh, recognize. That's one of the price, part of the price of leadership. And then finally, the last pitfall is the pitfall of being overwhelmed by a situation. Look, I've been in ministry for 40 years. I've not seen everything, but I've seen enough. I have seen people do some of the most wicked, evil, hurtful things to other people, and I've had to get down in the muck of that and try to sort it out. It doesn't sort itself out in a day or a week. Sometimes these situations go on for months, especially when there's a legal aspect that has to be resolved. Staying involved with the victims, staying involved with the families, staying involved with the perpetrators, staying involved with their families, trying to be a ministering presence in the midst of all of this difficulty is draining, it's demanding, it leaves you feel overwhelmed. So one of the pitfalls is feeling overwhelmed and making Bad decisions are making no decisions or bailing out of the situation. You just can't do that. So if you're involved in one of these situations, reach out to a good counselor, a good consultant, a good friend. Without disclosing anything inappropriate, ask someone to walk alongside you and help you make it through the process. Everybody needs help from time to time to stand up in a difficult situation. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Well, this is some guidance about dealing with sexual abuse and harassment prevention. Three steps I gave you, develop clear policies and procedures, train on the policies and procedures consistently, and implement your policies and procedures thoroughly. And then I've given you seven pitfalls to avoid. Beware of these traps and discipline yourself to move forward, responding purposefully and intentionally. It's an ugly, difficult, unfortunate part of leadership today, but it's part of what you have to do as you lead on.